0: So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets! welcome back to another episode of the Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Tom Sico, co-owner and founder of Florida Veterinary Advisors. We are a national planning firm that works with veterinary practice owners, associate veterinarians, and their veterinary teams. Uh, today, I've got a really fun guest. I've been trying to get in touch with her for quite some time, and I'm actually very excited to speak with her. And I'm sure many of you have heard of her so far, and if you haven't, you should probably get to know her. Uh, But before I jump in, I did want to make mention, if you're not aware of, um, you should get aware of, that we've got a lot of great resources available through our website, many different financial topics and and subjects that are out there. And one of them that I've found near and dear that I've loved the most and that I found a lot of people are finding helpful, the five foundational steps to financial balance. We have a five-part video course that walks through these different steps that you could take to get the most control in your finances. So, a lot of times when we're talking with people, basically they're always saying, Hey, I don't know much about finances. I'm always struggling. And we created these short 20 minute long videos. There's five of them that walk through this entire process. So, make sure to go check it out. You can go through our website, Florida Veterinary Advisors, and you'll be able to find it there. So, without any further ado, Uh, I, again, I'm very happy and uh, delighted to have this guest on our our podcast here today, and I hope everyone finds a lot of value from it. Uh, She's actually found that she's a neighbor not too far from me too, which is kind of a small world when you think of it. Uh, She's a veterinarian, founder of Lap of Love, so maybe this might give it away. Um, and she's also the Boosted Companion Animal Award winner for the AVMA of 2022, which was really just right around the corner. Uh, so she's kind of a big deal, I think. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Danny McFetty.
1: Thank you, Tom. I'm excited to be here with you.
0: <laughs> me too. I, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. For for anyone who isn't familiar with you, and I'm sure you shared your story countless times already. Uh, I'm just really kind of give us like the the synopsis of where did you start and how did you get to where you are right now.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay, so I'll give you I'll give you the brief the brief explanation, but important as well. So I graduated Mm -hmm. University of Florida in 2009 and I was uh, the economy was collapsing at the time. So there weren't a lot of jobs available that you could really choose from. Um, But I ended up doing emergency medicine because I had a one year old at the time and I wanted I just I still wanted the days open with him. And Mm -hmm. so I started doing emergency medicine, loved it, loved the medicine, loved the fast pacedness but I found that I had an affinity for the end of life conversations. And within a very short couple of months, I was the one that the techs were grabbing to do euthanasias and, you know, help with the difficult clients and that kind of thing. So fast forward just a little bit further, I decided that I wanted to start a service doing in-home end of life care for pets. I had volunteered for human hospice in college. So I kind of had a little bit of a knowledge of that. And then coupled that with my emergency and euthanasia experience, and obviously you see quite a bit of that in, in emergency medicine, I just, I started telling people, I'm like, well, I'll come to your home tomorrow. We don't have to euthanize right now. Why don't we wait a couple of days till your husband gets back in town? And then, I'll, you know, then I'll, then I'll, I'll go to your house then. And so Lab of Love, I started literally, it was three months out of school when I, when I actually started it. And it was supposed to be just a little part-time thing, you know, that it, I was just going to do on the side and I was eventually going to buy an, an ER practice and, you know, that was going to be my life. And it just kind of kept growing and it just, it, it kept growing so much that, you know, I think that the, the thing that surprised me was that there were other weird doctors out there like me that enjoyed euthanasia, <laughs> you, you know, and found it fulfilling and so right. now here we are 14, almost 14 years later, and we have, uh, over two, over 500 employees, um, over half of those are doctors. Most of them are full-time and that obviously that word full-time is, you know, evolving in veterinary medicine and what that means. <laughs> um, but we help over 10,000 animals a month right now and growing. So it's, it's been, it's been just really a, a fabulous, fabulous, right? I never would have thought this is what my veterinary career would, would be, but I wouldn't change mm. a thing.
0: How did you stumble across End of Life? Was it something that you were in school and you had seen and you're like, hey, this is something I'm interested in? Were you having conversations with a teacher at one point or like, how, where did it come up?
1: You know, I re- I read this book when I was in, in college, in, in undergrad called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And in the, mm. well, I guess it was the audio portion of the book. And in the audio portion, the author was talking about volunteering for hospice. He said that him and his wife volunteered for hospice. And it was just such a moving experience. And I was like, wow, what a crazy experience. And I I had never had a a large, huge loss in my life like that at that point. And I knew death was part of medicine. So I just thought like, gosh, that would really help set me apart on my veterinary school application. So I, and it just sounds like an interesting experience. So I went and I signed up to volunteer for human hospice and I did it for about a year. And my mom still does it. She started around the same time that I did and she she still does it. And Mm. it it's just this fascinating, fascinating group of people that focus more on the patient than they do on the disease. And they don't care if you take your medicine or not. They just care what kind nice. of ice you want, you know, and what do you want to talk about? And it's just, I found it to be so, it's just, it's a part of medicine that is just so focused on the comfort of, of the, the patient and not really about like the actual medical part of it. And I loved mm. that, so I then I think you know fast forward to emergency medicine what what I've always been very good at and and look, I am not the smartest in the class. I graduated at the bottom of the class i I say it's the part of the class that makes the top ninety percent possible, okay, like I am not gonna be like the intellectually most gifted person in in medical school, but what I was always very good at, and probably because my both my parents are entrepreneurs, successful ones, is that I feel like I could look at somebody in an exam room and know what they wanted from me. And Mm. and I don't mean, okay, I'm going to cure your dog for $2. I don't mean that. I mean that they want me to shoot them straight. They want me to give them options, but also understand when they don't want to spend $800 just for a refill of Remedil. And now we're going to, you know, come to the middle understanding. And so because of that, I think that my skill in the exam room, looking at people and delivering information in a clear and concise and understandable way. It just led to me being very good at end of life care.
0: Right.
1: I didn't necessarily want to be better at diabetes management. It just bored the crap out of me. Even in vet school, it was boring. (laughs) But that's a part of medicine. Really helping people. I mean, like really helping them. Like they walk out with tears in their eyes, but a hug and a thank you. Like that was what was motivating to me. And I still think if I could pay my student loans back with thank you cards, like I would have done that, but the government won't take them. So, right. you know, that like, that's what motivated me was really being doing something meaningful for people. And it just evolved. And, and you know, I also found out that I kind of enjoyed researching the business side of it and learning about it and making decisions that kind of helped grow, you know, the business grow. Um, but that's, that's yeah, it's, yeah, it's weird how you just don't think that's where your career is going to go. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's really fascinating too. And it's something I caught on earlier when you mentioned it about both of your parents being entrepreneurs. And it's it's something I've even noticed in my world too, where it's like vet med or finances or marketing or who knows what the list could be. It seems that like depending on, you know, I think the ba- that's the way that I can summarize is this, like whoever you're associated with along the way usually has a great impact on your future projection and the things that you do. And I, I know my dad was an entrepreneur he still is um you know sometimes i wish i could help lift him up a little bit more cuz i think i've kind of exceeded him to a certain degree but it's you know it's, it's i think that's probably the parents ambitions they want that to happen and uh but i i will say it's you know it's something you can become as well you can become an entrepreneur you can actually focus your energy on doing those things if you really 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 want it but it's incredible um it's incredible just to see how you've been able to just turn something into something pretty incredible. I mean, 500 people is not a small feat. I mean, that's a big deal. So I, I do want to pivot here from conversation because this is about finance, this whole podcast. And I, I did want to start off like when it comes to, if you were to think at your career to this point and where your life has started from where you are now, uh, I'm sure there's been certain things that you've experienced along the way where you've like, I made a really bad decision financially. Uh, and how did you like recover from it? Like, what did you do? Uh, so is there something you have in mind that you could share?
1: Gosh, I'm trying to think of like bad decisions. Cause to be honest, I've, I've made, I'm very proud to say I've made a lot of good financially good decisions, you know, and that, that came from my, my parents. They're extremely financially conservative. You know, they all always bought super used cars, like, you know, all older everything and, you know, really, really scraped. And even now, like they, they, they scraped their pennies. They don't even have to, but that's how I learned, you know? And I think, Mm. I don't know. I think, um, I was blessed to have graduated in 2009, like I said, so the economy was collapsing. So the first home that I bought had been, it was REO. So the the bank owned it and I got Mm. an amazing deal from it. Um, I think there was probably, you know, maybe some things here and there, I'm trying to have a bad, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that, that, that I did that, that I'm, I'm that I'm proud of myself for was, you know, one thing and women are going to get this, you know, that I love to do for myself is get a manicure and I have really bad, Natural nails—they break, they brittle, like they never <laughs> look good at all. You know, and here I am, like trying to be a professional and like giving euthanasia a solution. And people are staring at my hands, and you know, I always wanted to have nice hands, but I could never stomach the money for a manicure. So Brilliant. when I started Lap of Love, I told myself, I said, I will not get a manicure, and I hadn't an invest school at all. But in- until until Lap of Love makes money and as an entrepreneur you understand that everyone thinks like oh you started a business you start making money it's like no you don't you know you, there's lots of costs there's lots of negatives you know on that on on that that column versus the positives so i i did not get my nails done until Lapa love started making money and i always i just i i thought that was such a good decision because i think people you know particularly Those that don't maybe have like a financial soundness, you grow up kind of thinking, oh, I can afford this or I can get that at Starbucks. I had a doctor tell me once, like, Danny, I'm a doctor. I should be able to get Starbucks every day. And I'm like, that's fine. Hmm. You know, but what I did in college is that I would buy like a bulk pack of Starbucks cups. Because if you go to to Starbucks, they'll usually give you like a bunch of cups. And, you know, and Liz, you can buy them on Amazon now. And I would pour my coffee from my <laughs> coffee pot into the Starbucks cup. And then I get to walk around every day like I went to Starbucks and it didn't cost me a Starbucks price. You know, so yeah. little things like that. that like I would I would do to to mess with my own mind to get me out of this. This is what I deserve. This is what I need to have or I should have this or whatever, you know.
0: Of course. What's interesting that you share that, too, because I, I was seeing something the other day and it's really fascinating because it's like you know, the person's like, Hey, I buy lunch every day. I go out to lunch every day. And they're like, I can't afford to, I can't afford to travel. And they're like, well, like if you buy lunch every single day, over the course of 30 days, it's $300 a month that let's say lunch is $10 a meal, it's $300 over the, let's say your trip was a grand, you know, three months, you've got enough. <laughs> you've got plenty to travel. And it's interesting to see how you're doing that. It made, made financial sense, it seems like.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and, and not only that too, but look, I mean, you're preaching in the choir with you, right? Like, you know, all these things, but the other things that people do is they get, they get into a home that's too expensive and a car that's too expensive. And you're talking right. for $300 more per month right there than you should be spending, you know, whereas if you scrap it a little bit more and go back and I I always tell the veterinary students that I talk to, I say, just live on a student budget for two or three years. You're doing it right now. You know, you're living on a budget right now. Stay on that same budget for two to three years when you graduate and you will find yourself in an immensely financially free mentality, you know, because you, you will like you mm. teach yourself better lessons. It's just, it's, it's interesting. I remember even in vet school, people, I had, I had quite a few of my friends actually use their student loan money to go on, like, they all went on this Vegas vacation. They're like, you want to go? I'm like, no. And I even, I had an income when I was in vet school and I still mm. had loans you know, but like, there was just no way that I was going to spend that money. So I'd never looked at loans as like a plus. I always looked at them as a huge negative. I'm like, I'm already in the hole from this. This isn't just money, free money that I was given. This is I'm in the hole. How am I going to get out as quick as possible?
0: Right. Yeah. That's wow. I, 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 love the thought process behind it. And I know when I, I went to school, cause I, I was fortunate myself and I know I'm not in vet med. Uh, however, the, you know, everyone gets a chance to get loans. They they get a chance, maybe you can get some grants and everything else. And I remember I was in one of my semester and uh, I was approved, I believe it was for like $25,000 they had approved me for for one semester. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, do I really need $25,000? like most people, they'd be like, sign me up, I'll take it. And then they're like, I have $25,000 more in my bank account. And, uh, you know, I was sitting here, I'm like, well, my school's already cared for Maybe I could use a little extra cash just to make sure I can like buy food and some other things. And I remember I ended up taking, I think it was like $8,000 out of the whole 25. And um, I have found it like, it's incredible. Like, you know, this is my personal opinion. And some people might not like the thought process behind this. I I will say, you know, schools to a certain degree, because they are increasing prices. And depending on where you go to school, it becomes very expensive. But because of the mentality of like, I'm getting all of this money that lent to me. And then when I borrow it, then all of a sudden, now I can go on all these trips, I can do all these things, I can eat out all the time. That mentality that people get into where it's just like, yeah, I've got it, I can do it. And it's just like, well, yeah, and now you're going to be stressed out beyond beyond means when you get out of school, because you're like, I owe all this money. Um, and I've found so many people are just becoming so hopeless today, because they're just like, I'm never going to pay it off. i just have so much in loans. There's a lot of conversation around that that's happening in in veterinary medicine at the moment. So Very much. I I love all your little little things that you have worked through over time. And and when it comes to, you know, finances period, like what are things that you regularly do today to make sure that you're making good decisions?
1: You know, it's that's such a hard a hard question to answer because like the things that I do today are like based on such a different, you know, like it's just based on such a different financial place than I was when I graduated.
0: Yeah. There is a saying called, More money, more problems. There's actually a study I remember seeing not too long ago where, like, once you make over a certain level of income, like, you get to a part where it's like everything else becomes luxury. And it's very easy to get into that trap. I'm just more of curious of, like, hey, is there a certain process because you probably having a business, there's more ins and outs that comes out and you're having to be very methodical, like methodical, like, is this a good choice or not? Yeah. Of what we're doing. Yeah,
1: definitely. No, I know. I, I I totally know what you're, what you're asking. You know, I still, so every single time my credit card gets, gets swiped, I get like a a little alert on my phone. So even if like I'm standing right there. Right. Um, but it's, it's interesting because I love, I love seeing that because every single time there's a charge, there's a little ding on my phone so I can go on my app at any point and look it up. And I have always, you know, minus probably two years when I was 18 um, you know, I had my credit card paid a hundred and like a hundred percent. Like it gets paid off every single month. I never run a, run a balance. And the same thing goes with the business too. And um, you know, it's that always like kind of keeps it in check. I think, and then now all these apps get super sophisticated because you can push a couple of buttons and, you know, you can run a report on how much of what you spent was food, how much of it was entertainment, how much was travel, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I, I, I will say, too, but with the, with the business, just making decisions, my business partner. So after I started Lap of Love, I brought on a business partner, Dr. Mary Gardner, who was in software. She developed all of our software stuff. Her and I were always so much on the same page financially with the business because she's a lot like I am probably even more so where she's she um, didn't grow up with a lot of money. So she's very like just conservative and doesn't spend a lot on needless things. And so we were always on the same page with the business is that we just we never spent money unless we had to. And if it was a, maybe do we need this? We go back and look at it. And like, maybe do we, you know, go back and forth. We just, we were not the type that make money. And I think that that goes back to really knowing your business because people will want to sell you things that you don't need. And now I probably get five emails a day from like, you know, software people, we have this software that'll make your business run smoother and yada, yada. Like we don't need that. We need one software in our company. We need some accounting things. That's it. But that's like that's it. So I'm not constantly looking at things saying, Oh, that's going to make it, the business better. Oh, that's going to make it better. You have to know, is this purchase going to be materially better for the company? And if not, can you back the, can that money go somewhere else? And my thing was always like, wow, I could, I could hire somebody else for that same amount of money, or I could give someone a raise that, ha- that really needs it for that amount of money. And the one thing that we always did really well, my, my business partner and I were, we were just always on the same page with what, what we had to spend for the company. And I remember at the very, very beginning, I, somebody talked me into like an ad. And I mean, like I hadn't even had a client yet. Like this was the very beginning. And they talked me into like a thousand dollar ad. And that was the only time I was ever talking to something that I just knew just was not the right thing. And, um, and so I had called them back the next day and I'm like, I'm really sorry, I can't do this. You've got to cancel. And they're like, okay, you know, but I remember that feeling of like, this wasn't right. You know, this is mm-hmm. too much money to spend at this time. And, you know, we can do that later, but like at, at right now that this is, this is not right. So, and that's the beauty though, of also being an in-home model is that there was not a lot of assets that had to be purchased in order to start. So we, we were very blessed in, in that sense that it's it's been a, a lower startup cost. But at the same time, the more you grow, you know, the more you have to put into infrastructure and software and that kind of thing. And um, and I think that you know, there's there's not a lot of mistakes that we made looking back on it. Um, no. We were we were pretty darn. We had to strap our boots up and just make it work. We just we like- had to. Another option.
0: What's incredible what you're saying too, because I think this can also relate to you personally at the same time, because at the end of the day, when you really know where you're trying to go and what you want to accomplish and the direction that you're trying to achieve from all of this, then it really helps be your, your guiding understanding of like, do we do this or we do not, do we not do this? So it's like, and I I would find it very fascinating if people would actually look at their, uh, I'm very pragmatic when it comes to financial stuff. And of course our emotions, because we're people, our emotions tend to get in the way. And then we try to back it up logically later saying, yeah, we made a good decision. And I usually try to take the logical part of it first. And then my emotion gets introduced afterwards and not everyone operates like that. So it's very, it's (laughs) very different. So like if you could actually be able to take your financial life and be like, okay, does this really make sense? Especially buying too big of a house or having too much of a car or, any of those factors, like if you can really take a step back and be like, okay, this has really helped me achieve the things that I want to achieve, or is this more of a short-term luxury in life that I'm trying to have that really is going to put me behind from other aspects of what I'm trying to do. So uh, I think this is really awesome what what we're talking about right now. And I'm, I'm curious if you could just walk away and give people one pointer from this conversation today, like what's something that you'd suggest, something very simple that they could be doing right now?
1: I think it would be probably to focus on the feeling, you know, kind of what you just said. You focus on the feeling of what it would be like to be in that financially unencumbered place. I think you you call it financial balance. And I can tell you, you know, as a student, as somebody that had a bunch of debt, I think this is this is a, a terrible statement, but I saw it on a show, actually just a, it was a preview for a show where the, the woman on the show says, I've been rich and I've been poor. Trust me, rich is better. Yeah. And I love that because it's like, yeah, you know, you don't have to just stay poor your whole life. You make the decisions, you work hard, you make choices. And that feeling of being financially what you call balanced. And I tell my kids all the time is just money is for freedom. Money is not mm-hmm. to buy stuff. Money is not to not to buy nice cars. That's not what money is for. It's it's to provide you freedom. And the ability that the feeling that I have now after working my butt off for so many years of being free and unencumbered and not like, you know, wondering if I can buy this or buy that. Or, you know, my, my big thing was can I buy gifts for my family that I want you for Christmas? And I don't mean crazy big gifts. I just mean like, Hey, can I buy that painting that I wanted to buy for them? I don't know. You know, but when right. you get to that place, it is so relaxing and is so, it is just such a good place that I hope people can imagine what that's like work towards that and know that that feeling is is really at the end of the day what you're what you're working for? It's like right. not, not being stressed from work or from from money, not being stressed, or not even being able to pay your bills. You know, no one needs that kind of stress in their life. Life's too short for that.
0: <laughs> I agree. Life is too short. Well, this this has actually been a lot of fun. I appreciate you with all your insights and all of your your thoughts that you've been sharing here today. And something completely un, unrelated to finances, uh, I always love to ask some kind of quirky question at the end. If if you were stuck on an island. And you have a choice of one food that you could eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? French toast. <laughs> okay. French toast. Would you get it like the thick the thick bread or any kind of bread? Like how would you make it?
1: It, it can't be too thick. It just gotta have a lot of butter. And then like if it's too thick, it's just too ready. Like you don't want the too bready, you know. But like yeah. a little bit of egg on the outside, so you got like a titch of protein, you know, but like a bunch of sugar with you, gotta have powdered sugar with French toast. You just gotta have the powdered sugar. I love it. Got it. it.
0: I love, I love like real, like straight pure maple syrup too. I think that makes it yes. so
1: good. So good.
0: So awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on the show with me, Danny. Thanks for all of your time today.
1: Thank you, Tom. You too. Thank you very much.
0: Absolutely. Uh, well, hey everyone. I hope you've gotten a lot of information from this podcast today. I appreciate you being as part of our Smarter Vet community. Uh, I'm sure if you ever want to reach out to Danny, you're more than welcome to reach out and give her a contact. We'll provide some information in the description of this podcast. Uh, and again, if you haven't watched our five part video course, or if you want to check out some of our other great resources, make sure to look them on our, our website. Uh, for the meantime, this is Tom Cicco wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Securities, and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Submission number 2022-144932 expires October of 2024.